The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. July 30th, 2019, and you are tuned in to the Hitting the Marks podcast network, hittingthemarks.com, and welcome to an all-new edition of HTM Sports. My name is Jargo. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the real RBV Huckleberry. We've got a lot of sports to talk about, man. We missed last week. It's me, it's me. It's that R to the B to the B. Rick Vickery. Very happy to be back again. Hashtag HTM Sports. And I'm looking at this run, man. It's almost, you can feel it. You can smell it. It's in the air. You know, it's, we're getting to that one of those times where it's, you know, it's it's all about sports. Everything's starting to kind of come together. We're, we're getting ready for the postseason in baseball. We're getting ready to kick off football. The NBA just around the corner. Hockey's going to get fired up. And this is a very exciting time. We kind of turned that page. You know, we took off last week as, as most as most do in this crazy sports game, you know, the talking heads and all that, because it's just, you're in that lull, but man, it's starting to heat up now. Yeah. That time between, you know, when the NBA season ends before the playoff, the baseball playoffs start before the NFL kicks off, before the puck drops, before the basketball gets going again, we've got this like month and a half where there's nothing but baseball and contracts and rookie camps getting ready to start. So yeah, everybody kind of takes last week off. We did the same. Well, you know, it's what you're talking about here. We got camp starting up. You know, we've got trade deadlines, contract talks. You know, coming from our background, professional wrestling guys, that's where the drama's at. You know, that's I don't care about week seven, what's going on in the NFL. This is where all the drama's unfolding. This is where we're getting the, the theatrics and the, the personalities, the over-the-top characters. This is what I'm in for. Well, you want to talk about drama. I guess let's go ahead. Let's start things off with the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys got on a plane. They flew to Oxnard, California, where they have their training camp every year. But, Rick, there was one guy who was not on the plane, and his name is Ezekiel Elliott, and the collective sports world is losing their minds. Ezekiel Elliott's going to hold out. He's down in Cabo San Lupe rather than hanging out in Oxnard, California. The Cowboys go out, and they sign Alfred Morris just in case we're not going to have Ezekiel Elliott. Rick, this thing is absolutely taken over the sports media the last few days because, let's face it, the Dallas Cowboys are the biggest brand in all of American sports. What do you make of Ezekiel Elliott holding out? Well, this is exactly this is exactly what you know. Those of us, you know, the talking heads, the journalists, the analysts. This is what they want right here. You, you want drama in the big D, as you said. You know, one of the biggest the biggest brands franchise that you're going to see just in in all of sports around the globe. Right there in Dallas, and when you've got those characters, and you know they're all kind of biting at one another, they're fighting over financials. I mean, this makes for tremendous television. Exactly what they want here, and, and you see Zeke, and and we broke this down a couple of weeks ago. We were looking at the Cowboys. This is really no surprise to see him hold out. He he's mentioned this. Now he wants to get paid here. There's money to go around, but only so much, and he wants to make sure that he's not going to be shortchanged on the back end of this thing. He wants to be taken care of along with everybody else. And he he said then, if it needs to be, he will sit out. He is going to force their hand here somehow. I would trade him. 
Yeah, I know it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but I would trade Ezekiel Elliott because I don't think the Cowboys are going to be able to afford to pay Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper and that offensive line. Hell, we saw it in Green Bay this past week when they released Mike Daniels, who now went and signed with the Detroit Lions. Why did we release Mike Daniels? Because we're paying Aaron Rodgers $30 million freaking dollars a year. This is the Patriots system, right? You, you get a player that made a Pro Bowl a couple of years ago. He's still got some gas left in the tank. See ya. You're out. We're going to cut that salary and give it all to our quarterback. That's where the Cowboys are getting real close to at this point. Well, you need to look at it. You lay everything out here perfectly, Jarga. We're talking about you've got a running back in need. You've got a quarterback that's got a contract coming up. You've got a a wide receiver who's essentially reinvented himself is now being talked about you know, as you know, is one of the hot hands in the game. And Cooper, his deal is going to be up. But it really starts there on the, in those trenches. you got to take care of, secure this offensive line. You need to make sure that you keep that, that core intact, that you are keeping those horses happy. And then you have to start figuring out, okay, where else, where are our priorities? And it seems to be the trend in the NFL is, is you obviously you go to that quarterback. You don't want to overpay there. And then I guess you're you're kind of weighing, you know, who has more worth with you? Is it Cooper? Is it Zeke? And it's not so much just those individuals. It's what else can you get on the market and, and how important is that position? Right now, it, it doesn't, you know, and we've seen this trend over the last couple of years or so, maybe about the last decade. The running back doesn't hold as much value as they once had. And, and when you're talking about a trade here, you had mentioned in a comparison Obviously, that we saw with Big D, and it helped them when they traded what everyone thought was was absolutely insane, a franchise quarterback or running back in Herschel Walker. But they, look what they did. That opened them up. That brought in all of those picks, and that's what began the, the big dynasty down there throughout the 90s. Now, I would ask, and I, and I saw this on here, it was the first thing that, that came to my mind, and I wanted to ask you about this, Jargo. Is there that same worth? I mean, back then, you know, the running back was the key spot. Herschel Walker was such a bigger value then than Ezekiel's today. I mean, are you really going to get that much worth in exchange or are you just trying to unload a, a bad situation? Well, I think it's a little bit of, of two different situations because you, you have a team, like let's take the the Tennessee Titans, right? They went out and they signed Marco Murray when Dallas let him go and they signed him to a big contract. We're seeing it now with Todd Gurley. We're seeing the Melvin Gordon situation out in Los Angeles. There's not the value for running backs that there was. But is there value for Ezekiel Elliott? Because is there any question, is Ezekiel Elliott the best running back in the league? Is there any question about that at this point? Like To me, it's clear, hands down, Zeke is the best running back in the league. I mean, he's up there amongst you know the very elite in the league right now. But again, what's his position and how fast this game has evolved how hard hitting it is. That's why we see all these new rules being implemented. But one of the positions that isn't protected in all these different rules is the running back. And, right. and you brought up Gurley there and look at the huge deal. They were going to put everything around him and, and just look what happens there. You know, just one wrong little, you know, little kind of shake or shift and you take something to the hip, you fall hard on it there and you've got a completely different, a different player on your hands here than, than what you maybe have paid for. And I, I, and I agree with all of that. And I agree that the value of Ezekiel Elliott to the Dallas Cowboys and the value of somebody like a DeMarco Murray to the te- uh, to the Titans is completely different 
because the Titans have to sell tickets. The Cowboys are going to sell tickets. We know that. Even when the Cowboys are awful, they're still going to sell tickets. But for these small market teams, you think that they wouldn't mortgage the farm to bring in somebody like Ezekiel Elliott to make them relevant for two to three years? Well, you, you're hoping you get two or three years out of this. You bring him in here, you're overpaying somewhere with a small market like that, and you're not surrounding him. You're not giving him those horses to lead the way in the front. Who knows? You, you might not even get half a season. And that might not be the production on – on just the running back or a question of their health. It's just if they have the means, if they have the, the avenue to produce those numbers that you would expect. Well, kind of sticking with this running back conversation, you know, Rick, I always said there's no way I'm drafting a running back in the first round because there's, there's just not that value there anymore. Well, now I have completely changed my tone. Now I'm going to draft a running back in the first round Every year until I find a running back that I dub as worthy of it because you can pay them peanuts for seven freaking years. The way that these rookie quarter or running back contracts are laid out now with the new CBA, you get a four year rookie deal. The team has an option on a fifth year and then they can franchise tag your ass for two years. That's seven years. I can use a running back and then just ship him off bring in somebody else, and basically pay my running back position nothing for seven years. That's my new strategy. Absolutely. I'm going to draft a running back every year if I'm a general manager in the first round now because I can run that horse for seven years and then just wipe them out. Well, you you would think so, but then we got a situation on our hands like Dallas is facing. He's not in camp. He's sitting on the beach somewhere. He's at a resort kicking back. This is why you draft one every year. I mean, look, look at what the Rams did with Gurley and C.J. Anderson last year. Well, you're going to multiple back systems here, but I, I don't know in every year if you want to do that, but I think you could get in. I, we talked about this before, but we were focusing on the quarterbacks. With these high price where they're just seemingly, you bring somebody in, you overpay them. I mean, look what's happening in Green Bay. Uh, it, what was the stat that we saw? Like six of the top ten paid quarterbacks for the last 70 years they don't even make the playoffs because they're handcuffing their teams but we were talking about you know how when do we get to a point where it's okay we're going to keep bringing in rookies and living off of these rookie deals and then when you get when you get vested in the league then we're done with you we'll let somebody else overpay you here and that's basically the strategy that is the new england patriots oh what's that you're coming up on a contract year and you've already gave us a good two three years yeah see ya bye we'll go draft somebody else. That's basically how the Patriots have, have kept their payroll down. Brady takes a pay cut. So you still pay, you know, your, your offensive line, you're paying for a defensive line, maybe a corner, a wide receiver for a year, maybe two Randy Moss. And then you cut weight and just let them go and bring in the new youth movement. That's basically been how the Patriots have survived for the last 20 years in a dynasty. Well, that, and they play in the AFC East. Well, and then also, well, also go along there with the Patriots. I mean, they're so great in their scouting. You all, you continually see them move down in the draft, but they stockpile. Yep. So, I mean, if you're giving yourself as many darts to throw at the board, even if it's later, you're going to hit your marks every now and then. And that's the key to the success that they've had. And then, as you said, they're darker as soon as you get invested in the league and you're, you're due those bigger contracts. Okay, we're moving on here. And if that means we're going to go get some youth to replace you or we're going to go get, you know, quote unquote, what people say off the scrap heap where we can pay, you know, veterans on that low end, but have, you know, the knowledge inside the league for leadership. That's what they do. And that's how they continue continually remain at the top. 
You know, Rick, one of the things about the Patriots that just stands out to me is the fact that they win all the time. You, you never hear people talking about their money in New England, and the second that they do, they're gone from New England. They just keep on winning, and those players are making up that revenue in winning, in endorsement deals, in jersey sales. I couldn't believe this stat when I heard it yesterday. The tops of the off-season jersey sales list in his 20th year in the league is Tom freaking Brady. It's not Odell Beckham changing teams. It's not Ezekiel Elliott, the best running back in the league. It's not Aaron Rodgers, possibly the most talented quarterback that we've ever seen. It's the old slow white guy in New England. 20 years in the league and people are still buying Tom Brady jerseys. How does everybody in the country not own a Tom Brady jersey already? Well, you know, at this point, you know, champions and championships, they they cultivate this culture that people are going to gravitate towards. They're they're going to continue to support and buy different versions of things here. You want to keep up with the the newest trends, get the, you know, the latest little twist on what kind of merchandise is coming out there. And as much as, you know, it's fun for individuals to kind of hate on and bash, those are just a vocal minority. Kind of like a professional wrestling, you know, us with the the internet wrestling community. You think the whole world, you know, everything was falling apart in professional wrestling if you just listen to this little little group over here. But they only represent a small portion of that complete audience. And it's just like, you know, it's just like with Duke. It's just like with the Yankees. It's just like even with the Red Sox. It's with the Steelers. When you have this culture and it it spread itself throughout the throughout the globe. You know, now we're not just dealing with inside the confines of the country here. I mean, this is global business that we're talking about. And Tom Brady has established himself as the face of one of those greatest brands in the Patriots. Has it just gotten to the point where people just respect Brady? Where it's like you you spend, you know, the first 15 years of the guy's career just hating him. And finally, you just acknowledge, yeah, Brady's the GOAT. And I like your comparison there with the GOAT. Let's go back to somebody that now is so revered because we look at it differently. But even in his prime, when he was the ultimate villain and he was going around working the crowds, taking on the baby faces every night, people still revered Ric Flair. Even though, you know, everything, you know, even though he was going around to these arenas, he's taking on the the biggest baby faces in each territory. He's out there kind of, you know, rubbing his lifestyle in their face that he is better than them. But deep down inside, you know, even, you know, that blue collar Joe Schmo, he looked at Flair, he saw he saw the Jets, he saw all the champagne, the beautiful women. And, and you get kind of that that comparison with Tom Brady. I mean, he is I mean, he's a fantastic looking guy. He's the face of the league's top franchise. He's in himself. He's a tremendous brand. He's got an over the top, beautiful wife, great family. But this guy's living the dream that everybody wants deep down inside. 42 years old this week, this next coming week, Tom Brady will turn 42 years old. And it seems like people have been saying this for at least the last three years. Is this going to be the end of TB12? Is 42 going to finally be the end of the line for Tom Brady? Yeah, at this point, uh, if you can continue the speculation, there's only one individual that's ever going to make that call, and that's going to be Tom Brady himself. Well, I think there's three other people that can also help make that call, and that is the Jets, the Bills, and the Dolphins. Uh, One of those that it's not going to be is the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins fired their offensive line coach one week into training camp. 
one week into training camp and they're firing people. I also read a report shortly before we started recording that the way things are right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick will be the starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins going into this year. Rick, that just tells me the Dolphins are going to do absolutely nothing. This is going to be like another three or four win season for the Dolphins. I, I What are they doing down there in Miami? Again, this is, as we talk about the greatness in New England, and it's seemingly what they do there is rinse and repeat. What we're seeing is the exact opposite. I mean, it's a rinse and repeat, but it's on the exact opposite of the spectrum from what you what you see with the you know a team like the Patriots. The Dolphins, they just seemingly cannot go in the right direction. They are mispaying individuals. You've got all these, you know, they're always trying to reshake everything up. There is no solid direction here for this franchise. And again, you know, it looks like, you know, it's between the other three teams in this division here. They're all just going to continue to fight for the bottom of the well. So we, we, we've talked a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys, of course, in the NFC East. We talked a little bit about the Patriots, of course, in the AFC East. I think it's time that we started off. Here is your Eastern preview and predictions. Uh, Huckleberry, I'm laying out these divisions last night and I'm looking at records and I'm looking at the talent that they brought in, the talent that they retained. The AFC East seems the easiest of divisions to project for me. I'm going to have the Patriots are going to win the division once again. And then you have the Jets, the Bills and the Dolphins, Uh, the Bills, Dolphins and Jets all by the end of this season, are going to be working with second-year quarterbacks. It's going to be Josh Rosen down there in Miami. It's it's going to be Sam Darnold in New York. It's going to be Josh Allen in Buffalo. And the Patriots are just going to dominate this entire division again. I guess my question to you, will any of these three other teams even come close to sniffing 500 or the playoffs? I'm going to I'm – gonna- I'm going to see what you're saying here, Jars, and I'm going to man, I'm going to one up you here on this. I've got the Patriots looking at about 12 wins, 12 and four. I don't think the rest of this division, the Jets, Bills, Dolphins combined, get 12 wins. Ouch! You know, and that's really saying something, considering that they all have got to play each other twice. I, I took that in consideration. I, I've looked at some of these schedules here, and they have weaker schedules. But where they're standing here, I don't see anything impressive with these guys. Combined with them, I don't think they can even muster up with an average of four apiece to match the Patriots' overall wins. Well, I'll I'll, I'll see your 12 wins, but I'm going to say that the Jets are going to get six of them. The Bills and the Dolphins each only get a couple. I, I just... I feel like the Jets took some great strides this year. They, they've put together a good, solid defense. They're getting Darnold some weapons up there. They're just not ready to compete as of yet. But I could absolutely see the Jets going like six and ten. I'd see. I, I certainly out of the you know the bottom three here see them as the standout. I don't think they get close to that six. I think you know really a successful year for them would be at that five. So that's that's really where I've got them sitting at, at that four mark, four or five. Take a look at the NFC East, which is a bit more difficult to call. One thing that I think everybody is going to agree with is the bottom of this division is going to be the Giants and Redskins. It's just a matter of which order are you going to put the Giants and Redskins in. I'm going to go with Giants over Redskins to finish in third place simply because I think both of these teams are a mess, but I think the Giants have a little bit easier schedule. Yeah, I think you know they're sit with a, a little bit ease. I think they, they, they've probably done a little bit more going forward than the Redskins. But again, you know, it's kind of a coin flip. 
uh, which one of these two is going to claim the bottom, but not expecting anything of, of, of note or, you know, even discussion uh, as we get ready to progress through the season. So the real battle is at the top of the NFC East. Rick, I'm going to take the Philadelphia Eagles by a hair over the Dallas Cowboys to win the NFC East. I think both of these teams make the playoffs, but I'm going with the Eagles to win the division. I actually sat down with the schedules of both of these teams last night, and it seems to me that I had the Eagles with 13 wins and the Cowboys with 12. Well, very interesting. Uh, looking at these schedules, I had a man. I, I had the same. I had the same lineup. I think the Eagles get it. I think they're doing a little bit more here. Uh, the one thing that I do question, and, and I know a lot of people, is you know we t- we talked at the top of the show here about all the the dysfunction that seems to be going on in Big D. That's not necessarily a negative for them. They they seem to thrive under that kind of environment. Somehow Jerry Jones, I mean, he, you know, he like savors that flavor of, of all this great dysfunction and, under, you know, not really knowing what's going on, all this mass confusion. He thrives under that a little bit. So that, to me, gives the, the Cowboys, you know, a little bit of an edge. Uh, but I'm not as high on the wins as you are. I think I think you could win this division with 10 wins. Wow. 10 wins. You think will win the NFC East. Interesting. I'm looking forward when we get into uh, the next couple of weeks as we talk about the uh, the northern divisions of both the AFC and the NFC, as well as the West. I think there's going to be some surprises coming out there. Well, I was going to say, you know, I, just yesterday, uh, sitting around the old bar room, we had so a great, great discussion. We were kind of skipping around on these uh, on these different divisions and all this, and spent a lot of time. Spent a lot of time, obviously, here in Ohio. In the Midwest, we were talking about breaking down the AFC North. I'm looking forward to that one next week. By the next time we speak, it will not be the great state of Ohio. It will be the great state of Yano. Not let's uh let's go ahead uh talk about one signing inside of the nba that went down this past week and rick i thought this was a big signing that went completely under the radar the portland trailblazers bring in pal gasol on a one-year 2.6 million dollar deal this is going to be pal's 19th season and rick i i feel like this is Portland bringing in another assistant coach because they already have Hassan Whiteside. They already have Zach Collins. They already have Joseph Nurkic, although he's out with a leg injury for at least the beginning of the season. I feel like they're bringing Powell in for that veteran leadership. He's going to be more of an assistant coach sitting on that bench. Shortly before we started recording, I saw that they had just extended CJ McCollum. Of course, they still have Damian Lillard up there. Is Portland going to be a team to watch inside of the Western Conference? Wait, you know, last year, you know, last season they were. I mean, they 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 finished third in the conference last year. Wait, but it was kind of that case of, you know, they they might, they're not the sexiest of teams because they don't, you know, they're not, you're not talking about them as we do the Lakers or the Clippers or Golden State or what's going on in New Jersey. They're, they're not these, these dynamic duo powerhouse teams right now. They're, they're more structured like we were seeing what we were expecting from the East, what we've seen there with, you know, what we see kind of in Philadelphia uh, with the Bucks, the Pacers, you know, in in Toronto where you're more of a complete team without those, you know, standout standouts. And this signing here with Gasol, absolutely. You're 100% correct. You have those young teams that meet without that big star power, but you need that better presence. You need someone that's been there who has played with all of the, you know those big names that's been in these big situations, and that's exactly what he's going to bring to the table. 
great pickup for the Portland Trailblazers. I can't believe that nobody's talking about that. I love Mason Pal Gasol. And I, I think at this point here, if you're the Trailblazers, you got to love the position you're in, right? I mean, everyone else is getting all this press. There's no real heat on you. You just need to focus on getting back to where you were and then hopefully making that next step. I cannot wait to watch that Western Conference come this October. Huckleberry, let's go ahead. Let's wrap things up with some baseball. Of course, the trade deadline looming tomorrow. And Rick, one thing stood out to me this weekend as I was going through these damn baseball scores. The Yankees need some pitching. They need some pitching real bad, especially a starting pitcher. They gave up 44 runs to Boston in four freaking games. What in the hell is going on up there in New York? Well, it's just a point. I mean, are, are you panicking just because of what have you done for me lately? No, I'm I mean, panicking because we lost three out of four to fucking Boston. You're going to have that. You know, like we were talking about at the top of the show here, we're in this lull, especially for baseball. Everyone's kind of focused on what's going on in the office, not so much on the field here. You're trying to get back in gear. You have kind of that, that idle zone. Where you know from All Star to mid August, as you start, then you really start looking towards that run into September, looking towards October. That's where you turn it back up here. I, I don't think there's too much. I, I don't think they're they're over panicking, but there's certainly yes, the Yankees are going to be out there looking at looking at any possibility, any kind of move they can do to bolster this team to even take them to you know to the next level from being already one of the, the best teams in Major League Baseball. Do you buy into the idea of Brian Cashman doing business with every team that is not named the Boston Red Sox? I wonder I wonder how much we should read into that. I could see where maybe they're not making direct calls, but in roundabout ways, they're maybe, you know, through other outlets or through other personnel that, that they're kind of feeling each other out and seeing if there could be anything, you know, moves that they could that they can make. But hey, this goes back, you know, to the most fame moved in all in all of baseball history. You don't want to be on the downside of a deal made directly between these two teams and, and have that to come back and haunt you. Uh, and obviously I'm talking about, you know, when Boston sent the babe to New York. Yeah. Curse of the it, Bambino. It, there, there's I mean, there's no way that something could ever be of that magnitude, but you don't even want to make mention of that. And that's where I'd say there, but I, I think there's always got to be some under dealings going on between these two because they're both trying to position themselves each and every year. It's, it's a it's a game of chess. They, they want to win championships. And, you know, it's one of the greatest rivalries in all of sports. Well, let's com- continue talking about my beloved Yankees as we talk about your Cleveland Indians. Huckleberry, the Indians are surging. They're now only two games back of the Minnesota Twins, who seemed like they were going to run away with the East. All of a sudden, Minnesota's falling apart. We knew it was coming. It was just a matter of time. Um, what What is the feeling inside of Cleveland when it comes to the Twins? Or, well, I told not you. the Twins, the Indians. I'm sorry. With the Indians. I had told you this. Uh, on the show, you know, right here on hashtag HGM Sports, as we were heading into the All Star break, we were we were talking about, you know, the teams that we're gonna we're gonna hold, those teams that we're gonna buy, those teams that we're gonna sell, and you were questioning, you know, where is the intent? Where should the Indians' direction be? Should they should they fold? Should they start selling? You know, were they thinking about wild card? I said no way. We're looking at the division here in Northern Ohio. They were looking at claiming claiming the Central. That's where they want to be at. At that time, they were six games back, and I said they're in striking distance. They're going to make their charge. That's what we're exactly. That's what we're getting right here. Uh, I still believe, you know, I 
the Indians, to me, they've been in this situation before. I'm not surprised where the Twins have been. They, they regularly do this. You know, they go to the cellar. They go sit at the bottom for a while. They save up some of that money, and then they go try to make the run every couple of years. That didn't surprise me. But what's also not going to surprise me is when the Indians catch them and win this division. Okay, so let's talk about the Indians, and let's talk about Trevor Bauer, because he's one of these players that we, we keep hearing rumors about. And now, at this point, do the Indians even want to move Bauer at this point? I mean, you're three games up in the wild card. Do you really want to get rid of one of your best pitchers? Well, I think, you know, this goes back, as we were talking there before the All-Star break, you were a little surprised, you know, would they move him here? Is, you know, why is he on the market? And this is, again, a feeler. You know, you're putting anything out there. You're trying to chum the waters, seeing if anybody will bite on a certain kind of bait. Now, you well, certainly you're not going to just take anything here. You're not unloading him. If, if you do move him, you have to get the highest of value in return to position yourself to continue this run towards winning towards winning this division. I did agree with you until this past weekend, and now I'm wondering, does Terry Francona just want Trevor Bauer the hell out of Cleveland because he doesn't like the chemistry that he's adding to the team? This past weekend, Terry Francona goes out there to pull Trevor Bauer from a game in the sixth inning, and Trevor Bauer takes the ball and just chucks it over the center field wall. Terry Francona gets out there and he's like, what the fuck was that all about? And Trevor Bauer goes storming off in the mound. Is there trouble in Cleveland? Now, nah, you think, you know, a little bit of tension. He was frustrated here, but you realize this is business and you realize you've got a bigger goal that's set in front of you. You put these personal issues. If there, if there are any that still exist here, I'm sure they've had a conversation. These guys are professionals. They can move forward. You put anything personal aside and you do what's best for the betterment of a team winning a champion because all around, you know, even if he eventually wants to, you know, part from Cleveland, it's in his best interest to help push this team as far as they can, you know, and, and ideally you want to grab that championship. That makes everybody's value skyrocket. You get through these things together. Well, I think we have another team that's pulling some of that too. We'll talk about here in just a second. First, we have to talk about the NL wild card and really by association, the National League Central. There is a traffic jam inside of the NL Central. You have the Cubs at 56 and 49, the Cardinals at 56 and 49, the Brewers one game back, and your Cincinnati Reds only six and a half games back. We are seeing a little bit of separation when it comes to the Pirates. They're pretty well out of it at this point. Rick, there is a possibility that three of these teams end up making the playoffs. There's a possibility one of these teams ends up making the playoffs. Who are you buying and who are you selling when it comes to the NL Central? I'll tell you what's going to be a very interesting dynamic inside of the Central. And obviously, the true favorites here are those top three, Chicago, St. Louis, Milwaukee. Those are going to be the ones that are going to merge from here. But I want to give a little love you know, to my Cincinnati Reds that's six, six and a half out. They've been floating around in that area there. And it's not going to be so interesting to see if they can, if they can strike for the division. It's going to be how they're going to affect the shakeup with those top three. Uh, they they play quite well, and they have had great success this year against the Cubs and the Brewers. So they can they can sway that a little bit, but it, damn them, they cannot handle St. Louis. I, just in a recent series, when they were up, they were up in almost each game. In a couple, I mean, at one game, they were up like five, six, nothing, and lose the game. It, it's always that the Cardinals come back and get them. So it'll be interesting to see how the Reds can play to shake up those top three, uh, I think uh, I, I'm not going to be surprised. I think you're at least going to get two out of this thing. 
Uh, but I'd be, if, you know, a betting man, I'd be willing to put down that you're going to see three of them emerge from this, from the central. I think the one that you really got to worry about, if you're a fan of Midwest baseball in the uh, National League, is the San Francisco Giants. The San Francisco Giants, are they've just been surging. All of a sudden, the Giants are only two and a half back of the wild card. Obviously, the Dodgers just running away with the West. But man, the way the Giants have been playing, unless we can talk them into moving Madison Bumgarner to New York, which I firmly support San Francisco, if you want to give us Madison Bumgarner, I'm sure we can find you some prospects in our farm system. Let's make that deal happen. But the Giants are just kind of coming out of nowhere. Well, I just know, you know, just recently, you know, starting before that all-star break and where you really didn't pay much attention. But now when you turn that corner there, I mean, they were like 17 of 20. Yeah, they, and, they, and they just had, went on a tear. And they had cat fire. And, and for them, I mean, there is only one option. They have to claim a wild card spot. Uh, the, the Dodgers absolutely have the West on lockdown. So if you're the Giants, I mean, you're making this run. You're very satisfied with the direction and the success of your team. But you know your destination. You know your target. Uh, I don't think that – I know they're be getting phone calls, but no way you're moving anybody right now. God, you wouldn't think so. Then let's talk about the New York Mets as we wrap things up. Uh, the, the New York Mets just absolutely confusing the hell out of everybody. Everybody thought that the Mets would be sellers, and it turns out that the Mets are buyers as they're six back in the wild card. They acquire Marcus Stroman from Toronto. Rick, what do you make out of this? Is is the Mets actually going to try to make a run at this thing? You, you know what I'm really taking this move as? The Mets, need, the Mets know they need to try to do whatever they can to, to seem somewhat relevant inside of such a tight marketplace, uh, especially there in New York. And, and, and they've all, you know, they're always going to be that little brother, you know, that second tier, but they got a show. And, and right now it's, we could go across this league and look at the, in the NL, everything is still so tight. So many teams mathematically still alive here, but realistically, you know, what are the chances? Because there's so many of them bunched up there. Uh, I mean, you've got, three quarters of the national league still within striking distance of these playoffs. Yeah. I think this is all about Cindergard. I think that the Mets are trying to move Noah Cindergard, and the best way to do that was for them to go out and acquire Marcus Stroman. Stroman still has another year left on his contract. They can worry about playing this game with him next year, but this really drives the value of Cindergard up by them acquiring Stroman. I think this is addition by subtraction. Well, and again, you know, it's 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 about perception and playing a market here. And, and we've seen it for so many years. I mean, very, very comparable to a situation in basketball out in L.A. Uh, the Clippers had just had to continually make moves. And it seems like a right one right here for the Mets. But you continue to make those moves to let people know that you're still here. Hey, we're still in existence, even though you've got this hot other franchise that everyone's, you know, is just looking to, you know, eventually progress towards the World Series with a showdown against the Dodgers or whatever it might be. But. The Mets just still have to sit there and play in the game. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit us over at hittingthemarks.com for the entire HTM podcast network. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. Find the HTM podcast network online at HTMPWPod. RBV, how do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? Well, I want to follow up on something that we, that we talked about as we closed the Monday locker room, my, my last name, my destination, 
was the Sandy's High Low Burger. As I, I, I described it to you just a little bit yesterday, it's pretty much a half town White Castle. I, I want to bring it to life for everybody right now with this thing and how popular this was. Uh, this was a, a restaurant, I guess what was franchised, but I mean, it was a staple on the west side of Cincinnati in my early youth. But you know, for individuals, you know, like my parents, I mean, it was a Friday night staple. It was one of those drive, you know, drive ups. You know, you didn't have any indoor seating. It was you know, the girls in the roller skates coming out to you, bringing you your, your burgers and your shakes. Uh, but every now and then at festivals or at these uh, specialty brewing events, the the family will roll out the recipe and they'll set up right there, bring in the grills and set up right there on the street corner. Uh, there was probably, they were there from five, they were advertised five to seven. We got there at about six o'clock. There is a, I'm going to say a line about half a mile long for these things. Uh, when we got up there to place our order, they only had 20 left. So they were going to run out. The demand was, was ridiculous for this thing. But what they do is they, you do two quarter quarter pounders to create your half pounder. Uh, you start with the bottom one on the grill there. You put the cheese on that. Then you put the onion in there. Then you smash the other patty right on top of that thing. Then you do the bottom bun on that. So you're getting that heat. You're getting that grilled a little bit then. Then you top it off with the nice buttery top. Oh, my God. And the grease was unbelievable. Just soaked right through the wrapper, man. Unbelievable. It was awesome. Incredible. But keep up with uh, with me across all social media at The Real RVD. I'm not sure if you just described a sandwich or if you just described a Cincinnati hooker. They're selling on the on the corner there in Cincinnati, and there's a line for miles long and greasy, and you slamming and oh yeah, smothered with cheese and onion. Yeah. Uh, nice buttery buns. That's that's Ohio for you. We'll talk to you next week. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya.